Hello, and welcome to the Civic Hacker Podcast. I'm your host, Lori McNeil, founding director of the Civic Hacker Network and the Civic Hacker Summit. Our mission is to create and empower a globally connected community of people who are using data and technology to create positive social change. We do this by equipping and empowering people to move their change-making projects forward. We also amplify the work our membership is doing by providing a platform through which civic hackers can publicize their projects, collaborate, and get the resources and support they need. This episode is being released in January, which is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. A little bit of background on this month um, is that in 2010, by presidential proclamation, President Obama declared January National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. And every year since, each president has followed this tradition and President Biden is no exception. He issued his proclamation December 30th, 2021, titled A Proclamation on National Human Trafficking Prevention Month 2022. And in it, the office says, since human trafficking disproportionately impacts racial and ethnic minorities, women and girls, LGBTQI plus individuals, vulnerable migrants, and other historically marginalized and underserved communities, our mission is to to combat human trafficking must always be connected to our broader efforts to advance equity and justice across our society. Now, some of you may know that this issue, uh, human trafficking, is actually what got me started on the path to creating the Civic Hacker Summit as I was on a learning journey and trying to wrap my head around what people were already doing in the area of data collection and data-driven advocacy. I was working with my local anti-trafficking coalition to tackle our own data issues, and I had my eyes opened in that process uh, to an entire world of data for good and tech for good work that I hadn't been aware of before. The work that I learned about included the MIMEX project that the United States Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, was running. And that led me to interview Wade Shen for the original Civic Hacker Summit. You're going to hear that interview in this episode, so uh, prepare yourself for some eye-opening information and be aware that although the content that follows isn't explicit, the subject matter may not be suitable for children. Before we get into the interview, here's some background info on Wade Shen. In 2014, he joined DARPA as a program program manager. His research interests include machine learning, machine translation, speech recognition, and data analytics for improved human-computer interaction. 
He joined DARPA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Lincoln Laboratory, where he was an associate group leader in the Human Language Language Technology Group. Mr. Shen's area of research involved machine translation, speech, speaker, and language recognition, information extraction, and prosodic modeling for both small and large-scale applications. And prior to joining the MIT Lincoln Laboratory, Wade helped found and served as Chief Technology Officer for Vocentric Corporation, which was a company specializing in speech technologies for resource-constrained and embedded applications. Wade received his master's degree in computer science from the University of Maryland, College Park, and his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and computer science from the University of California, Berkeley. I know that you uh, are going to get a ton from his talk um, and what he shares, just as I did. Some of the highlights that we cover include how the internet can be a place where human trafficking flourishes, but is also used as a tool to investigate human traffickers. He uh, covers an in-depth explanation of tools that DARPA has created uh, to combat this issue, the behaviors and actions that sex traffickers take to hide their identity and make it hard for people to access their data, and how tools that DARPA has created work to overcome these challenges. Another thing that uh, we hit on is the philosophy behind DARPA's tools being open sourced and how non-experts can become involved in the research on this issue. And success stories. Um, We get into some of the success stories where sex traffickers have been convicted thanks to this technology that DARPA's uh, been promoting and helping to develop. So with that, we're going to get into the interview and I'll see you on the other side of this conversation. What I thought I would do is give you guys a sense of um, what we're trying to do at DARPA, what the Memex program is about, and then go through some of the tools that we've been building. Um, so DARPA is an organization, I guess before we begin, I, I should tell you what DARPA is because I don't think a lot of people know necessarily what we do. Uh, so DARPA is a part of the Defense Department. Um, we have been involved uh, since the very early days of, uh, of the Defense Department, at least in terms of like the post-Second uh, World War era, in helping the government to uh, combat what, what it calls technolo- technological surprise. Um, and the premise b- behind our organization was that in 1957, the, the Russians launched this, this satellite called Sputnik, and we were all surprised that they had this capability to launch satellites into space. Uh, and, you know, that, that one capability basically meant that they could probably launch nuclear weapons at the U.S. And uh, being surprised about something like that is not a good thing. Uh, so the Defense Department basically said, under Eisenhower, basically said, um, we shouldn't be surprised in a technical way. Like, we should have a general capability in math, science, uh, and, and STEM fields so that we are the leaders in technology uh, and we understand the technical, technological implications of the science that we're doing. 
and so he created this department called DARPA to build uh, and understand technology uh, and to build early stage prototypes of technologies that would become you know, household products over the course of the next 50 years. Um, so uh, some of the things that, uh, that DARPA has done in the past include uh, the development of GPS, the development of the internet, uh, a variety of other things that you may have heard of like Siri uh, and uh, voice recognition over the course of 30 or 40 years. Um, we fund, uh, we essentially fund a lot of research. There's very few of us uh, that are there at any one point in time, there's about 100 government people uh, that are coordinating uh, research that's being done in academia and industrial research. Now, um, where Memex comes into the picture is that uh, about four years ago, we started thinking a little bit about uh, what the implications of having an internet were. And uh, well, we thought about it a long time ago, but we were thinking about the good parts of that. And uh, you know what's what's become clear is that with the good parts of the internet come the bad parts too, and part of the thing that's happened over the last uh, decade or so is that um, ad sites have popped up all over the internet, enabling people to uh, sell sex online, to sell uh, illicit goods online in anonymous ways, and that's enabled um, human trafficking to flourish in online spaces. Um, you, you know, there's a variety of estimates out there. Over the course of the last three years, um, we have seen hundreds of millions of ads uh, for sex, many of which are probably trafficking-related, posted on online forums. And from our perspective, uh, it, this, was a, this was obviously a horrible abuse of the Internet, but it's also an opportunity for investigation. And so we started building... We started thinking about what it would take to build tools that would help investigators start from this data source, which is ads for sex online, and help them sift through those ads to find uh, the underlying behaviors associated with trafficking. And so we worked on two very specific problems. Um, one, how do you help investigators uh, follow leads that they have through other means online? Uh, how do you help those people uh, find all the information they need to, to run down a case? Now, what does it mean to run down a case? Typically, investigators are looking for something, some evidence of bad activity, uh, along with uh, identifiers that they can subpoena, uh, and then you know, use the normal judicial process to go after criminals. The other thing we started looking at early on was how we could uh, help investigators find those leads uh, automatically through the use of AI and machine learning tools um, that would read the content of ads online, whether those contents are in the form of images or text, the text of an ad, the images associated with the, those ads, um, to, uh, to, to generate leads for them so they don't have to sift through hundreds of millions of ads to look for behavior that looks suspicious. So what we did uh, over the course of the last three years was we built a series of tools um, and they're meant to be user-friendly and uh, they're meant to be um, usable by lay investigators uh, to, as a portal to this, this space of online ads and communications online that are associated with human trafficking.
So um, first, we had to figure out how to collect this data. Uh, this data turns out to be uh, amazingly complicated to collect, even though it's, uh, it's, uh, it's often seen as being as simple as scraping the web. Uh, and the problem is that the sites that host this data, uh, they don't really want you collecting this data. They don't really want law enforcement being present because, of course, that attacks their core business, which is essentially paid advertising. Um, on top of that, the people that are doing the advertising don't want to be scraped, right? They don't really want law enforcement going after them. They certainly want people who are their buyers to see the advertisements, but they don't want commercial indexes storing that for posterity and then leaving a footprint for law enforcement to come back and be a, being able to investigate them. Um, so there are all sorts of tricks uh, that are involved here. Um, that are structured around how to make the data less accessible to us um, who are helping law enforcement. Um, so one of the tricks is, for instance, that ads will come up and go down very, very quickly. Um, and that's essentially to avoid Google and Yahoo and, and, and Microsoft um, from being able to index those pages uh, if they're cycling through sites on a daily basis. Um, so we had to build crawlers that would go ultra fast over over different sites so that they could continuously update and keep track of ads as they were coming up and going down. The other thing that happens is that um, we noticed very early on that um, many of these sites uh, block crawlers. They explicitly prevent crawlers from getting into places where uh, where content is is um, potentially sensitive or uh, hard to find. And so we had to build crawlers that could survive a lot of those challenges. Uh, and then on top of all of that, um, the, the, the advertisers, uh, the traffickers, uh, the people that are posting these ads online, they often don't want to be found. So what they'll do is they'll use a series of different identifiers, um, contact points. These might be you know, hundreds of fake phone numbers or real phone numbers, but they're cycled over and over again. Or they might be things like um, alternate email addresses or uh, an alternative means through social media to contact somebody. So at the end of the day, there's lots of problems associated with this. One is that for any one ad, uh, for any one person being sold online, there may be thousands of ads. Mm -hmm. For any human trafficking ring that's conducting its business online, there may be hundreds of thousands of ads. And that's way too many for any individual to go through. So we built a series of tools that would, uh, in addition to finding the right data, put all of that data together in a, in a usable form for human beings, namely investigators, to make sense of that data, to be able to extract the information that they need to. And most importantly, to automatically read the content of that data uh, to extract out bits of information that are salient while removing all of the junk that isn't necessarily salient for an investigation. Okay, so what do I mean by this? Well, uh, so I'm going to show you a couple of scenarios um, under which um, our tools are built. I'm going to show you multiple tools. Um, so some of our, uh, the, the tools that I'm going to show you are called Dig, Tell Finder, and, uh, and Evidently. And these three different tools are meant to be used together. Um, Memex isn't one specific tool, but it's a whole suite of software that's designed to, to help in human trafficking investigations. And these are three different user-facing tools that help in different parts of the investigation. 
Um, so what I'm going to start by showing you is a scenario where an investigator has a particular lead already, and what they would like to do is to find out everything they can about a particular lead. In this particular case, the lead is an email address, and you can see here that when I search for this email address across three years of holdings associated with um, reviews for um, prostitutes and ads for prostitutes, that we find a huge number of results. So 210,000 over that time period. Not all of them are an exact match for this email address, but many of them are. And when we take a look at uh, the content associated with uh, this particular email address, we see that there are multiple phone numbers associated with this email, mm -hmm. multiple women being uh, sold under the same contact information, which is usually assigned that the person is either engaged in trafficking or could be engaged in trafficking. You see that there are multiple names, multiple ages of people. Uh, and there's a, a series of photographs that are associated with, uh, with, with the ads that have this email address in them. Now, uh, it turns out that one of the first tools we built uh, for, for uh, assisting law enforcement was the ability to go and find ads uh, and find other uh, identifiers based on one single um, uh, initial lead um, based on image similarity. And so what I'm going to show you here uh, is a tool that we've built uh, to do exactly that. We've blurred the images here because generally we don't want to uh, re-victimize people who potentially have been victimized. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to protect their identification. Um, what we've done here is we've taken the same image that was involved in one of the ads from that email address and we've searched uh, across uh, about a hundred million images to find other images of this same person. Uh, this is another image of the same person wearing different clothing. Uh, this is another image associated with a different pose. Um, and none of these other images were ads that contain that specific identifier, meaning that that email address was associated potentially with a series of other email addresses or phone numbers. And uh, the, the only linkage between uh, ads containing di these different phone numbers or email addresses would probably be the person in the images. In other words, the person in the image uh, is probably being sold, but the uh, the the seller is smart and he's trying to hide his identity by using lots and lots of fake identities. Now um, we built a series of tools to help people explore that kind of similarity, both hard identifier matches and soft identifiers like faces, uh, backgrounds, picture similarities, um, so that they could build out large networks of uh, potential trafficking um, uh, organizations uh, and uh, and coalesce all of the ads that they publish online. And so what you're looking at here is a tool that we call Telfinder and it's designed to help uh, law enforcement agents explore um, specific identifiers uh, to find all the set of all possible identifiers that might be associated with an email address or an initial lead. So in this case, we started with one particular lead, uh, this particular email address. That email address was strongly associated with this phone number. 
And then from there, we found other ads based on, again, that picture that we just saw um, associated with a different email address, specifically this one here. And that turns out to be associated with yet another email address over here. And all in all, there are probably uh, around 1,800 or 1,900 ads that are associated with this one entity. Wow. Now, all of this is good. If this lead turns out to be somebody who's actually engaged in, in trafficking, you now have the tools by which you can subpoena lots and lots of phone numbers and email addresses and potentially gather the, the evidence that you care about to conduct a prosecution. But at the end of the day, you need some kind of evidence that says this person is actually engaged in something bad. And so we built uh, another set of tools um, that, that take data uh, from an, a series of review sites. Uh, and if, for those of you who don't know, uh, in addition to uh, the online space being the place where people post ads uh, selling sex, there's a, a whole other group of sites where people um, who are on the, the buying side, the Johns, get together and they talk about the people that they have, uh, they have uh, bought online, the people that they have had sex with online, and so on. And uh, that sounds really disgusting, and it is. And uh, I apologize if you see uh, some text here that's offensive because there's a lot of it in these sites. But one of the things that's really interesting about these review sites is that they hold a whole host of evidence uh, associated with potential trafficking. And what we've done is built a bunch of machine reading tools that read those reviews, figure out which ads they're associated with, and then extract out a series of indicators associated with traffic. But these indicators include uh, when somebody talks about the fact that the uh, prostitute that he's engaged with is juvenile, doesn't speak English well, is uh, willing to engage in risky services, has evidence of drug use or coercion, um, physical abuse. And when we search for this email address, uh, and again, we could have done this for any of the identifiers that we just found through that expansion process, what we find is that there are 577 reviews of which 211 of them seem to involve some kind of juvenile. Now that's pretty strong evidence that trafficking is involved. In many states, um, I'm not sure what it is in California, but in many states, uh, the, the fact that you're selling uh, or engaged in the selling or facil facilitating the selling of a juvenile for sex uh, is, is a trafficking-related offense. And so that is enough in and of itself to generate probable cause for somebody to conduct an investigation. And of course, we did this without you having to read the 577 reviews associated with this email address. If I were to expand the search out to all of the identifiers associated with this particular ring, um, there would be thousands of reviews. And what you would find is that many of those reviews would have indicators associated with juveniles, associated with drug use and so on. And that would provide you with the evidence that you care about, but, and you could read all of that stuff manually if you wanted to, but the fact is is that that takes a lot of effort. It takes many hours to sift through these 577 reviews and to you know, create a pile of evidence associated with this. What we can do here is 
by clicking on this, limit this to the set of reviews that um, that have these particular indicators and quickly realize that uh, this particular entity is probably engaged in trafficking. Now, uh, this is that first use case I mentioned where you start from some lead and then you walk through the investigative process. And these three tools, DIG, Telfinder, and Evidently, are structured to help you do exactly that. But the other use case, which we're really excited about, is going backwards. And going backwards here is, what if we could generate the leads for law enforcement? Uh, what if we could generate them automatically based on what's happening in these forums, in these places where people talk about uh, prostitution, uh, where people are doing reviews, where people are generating ads? What if we could generate those leads automatically for law enforcement so that they get alerts when something suspicious is happening in their jurisdiction and they can just investigate immediately without having to find leads in the first place? I'll show you two ways in which we do that. Um, one way is just to use the tool that I just showed you, but go backwards. So um, this tool is currently running over uh, around 15 million ads uh, that have been collected over the last three years and uh, around 12 million reviews. And uh, instead of um, starting from an identifier, what we're doing here is starting from those indicators. So what we've done here is select two indicators. Uh, one, physical abuse, and two, coercion. Evidence of both of these things would be uh, would essentially be a, a good case for trafficking. And from there, we find a phone number um, that uh, looks like, if you read this, and again, I apologize for uh, the, uh, the offensive language and the offensive content, um, but unfortunately, this is what it's really like online. Um, and you can see here that the person has signs of physical abuse. Um, and uh, and it's, it's likely that this might be a real lead. So what an investigator can do with an alert like this is to take this particular, uh, this particular identifier and then reverse the process. And when we did it in this particular case, what we found was a rather large network um, that crossed three different state boundaries uh, between Georgia, Washington, D.C., and Virginia. Uh, and, uh, and literally thousands of ads um, uh, with multiple women associated with this particular ring. Uh, and all of that starts with a really, really simple uh, alerting system that tells investigators automatically as new data comes into the system that there is possibly uh, somebody in your jurisdiction who has the following characteristics which, which is probable cause enough for you to, to go and trace off this, this particular bit of identifying information so that you can find out whether or not this person is actually engaged in some kind of trafficking activity. So that's one version of starting backwards, generating a lead from the data, and then helping law enforcement uh, know that there's a crime being committed uh, without them having to discover after the fact that a crime has been committed, you know, much later. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the other things that we've been doing that I'm very excited about is that uh, we've also, just because we've worked with a lot of law enforcement agencies, many of them tell us that the, the, the people that ultimately get trafficked, many of them start uh, either as runaways or as missing children. And so one of the things that we've started to do is to take the uh, large-scale database of, of missing children that's been compiled by 
the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and run all of those faces against all of the ads in various um, uh, sex advertisement forums. And recently, we've you know we've discovered that we can find people uh, who've been missing for years uh, online uh, who are being sold for sex. Um, I can't tell you the details of that yet because there's a case pending, but um, but it's a really promising technology, and it's going to be able to provide alerts for law enforcement in an automated way because we already have this public reporting system for missing and exploited children, and because they're often the source for uh, many of the people that become uh, traffic victims uh, in, in, in these online spaces. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a sense of what we're trying to do and the tools that we're trying to build. Right. Um, that's amazing. Uh, and with the, the last tool that you mentioned with, you know, working backwards um, and generating leads, is that kind of, um, you, you mentioned that there's already a case, but how long has that piece been active or you know being tried out by law enforcement uh, versus the previous set of the first three tools that you mentioned yeah so we've been building these tools over the last three years um, so so this is a DARPA program with a finite time limit associated with it DARPA does the initial catalyzing of the technology development and then we typically hand that off to other people to do further development and so we're at the end of a three-year program we've got another six months to go and our goal in the next six months is to finish up these tools and hand them off to law enforcement uh, so that they can make them better and, and make them uh, sustainable for the long run. Um, but we've put in a, a pretty big investment, uh, literally millions of dollars, into the development of these tools. Uh, and we want to make sure that they make a difference in the world, frankly. And so what we're doing is we're giving them away for free. Um, all of them are open source, uh, whether they're end-to-end -end tools like the ones that I just showed you, which are, as you can see, they're web-based tools. You can get to them from a website. Uh, you can install them. You can run them on your own. Uh, law enforcement agencies can do that if they have the technical expertise to do that. And then on top of that, we've built uh, individual components, uh, whether they be web scrapers or things that read the image content and then you know match faces. Uh, or backgrounds, um, we built a series of those kinds of tools that can be used for other people who want to build new mashups and new applications. And there's people doing that all the time, uh, using the underlying components that we've built. And what we want to do is encourage a lot more of that, uh, because our program's going to end, and you guys are, and we're not going to have had all the great ideas about how we can use this data. Uh, to, to help law enforcement or to help people, you know, get out of this. Um, but, you know, you guys and everybody else will uh, have new ideas, and we don't want you to have to start from scratch, right? Um, right. So, so that's kind of the concept behind our program uh, is we give away the tools. Um, one thing, of course, for us is that, you know, we're taxpayer-funded. We kind of feel like it should go back to, a, a, you know, who, who paid us to do this, right? Um, but the other thing is that in order for these tools to be successful, they actually have to have a life beyond, uh, beyond our program. Software dies when it doesn't continue to develop, right? So um, we need other people to take up the mantle and continue to build out these tools and improve them for the long term. Right. So, um, you know, what does that look like? So, you know, for people who would want to get involved um, with further developing or using um the tools you know is it 
like any other you know open open source thing i'm assuming this is not like a github type <laughs> activity actually it is it um, is okay in fact um all Great. of our projects are on github uh, albeit they're not always that easy to find because you know there's lots of groups involved so I should mention that there are 18 different groups involved uh, in the construction of different tools and they're experts in their own areas um, and so uh, you know and, and and some of them are universities and some of them are companies and some of them are NGOs and uh, and so you know each of them has a little github organization and they have their own tools there um, and they're the ones doing all the hard technical work and you know I just guide them but uh, but at the end of the day uh, they're all on github and they're all clonable and they're all open source and uh, and licensed in such a way that you can mash them up into commercial projects you can mash them up into other open source projects uh, etc cetera, etc cetera. we don't we don't put a lot of constraints on how these tools get used at the end of the day uh, because we know that there's viable transition pathways where you know these things get made into commercial tools and you know have a have a sustainment associated with that um, in addition to being used for free and open source projects so um, so so the the short answer is there are two ways you can get at the tools um, we maintain something called the open catalog which is literally opencatalog.darpa.mil and if you look for Memex, you will see a list of all the projects that we've been developing, all the components and all the end-to-end -end systems that we've been developing. Um, in the next couple months, that will be organized in a little bit better way so that you can see components and end-to-end -end tools, and, and there'll be guides on how to make these end-to-end -end tools uh, useful in your own environment. Uh, most of them are pretty well documented, but not perfect yet because we still have about six months to go. And anybody who's involved in software knows that documentation is the last thing that we all do. Uh, and that's that's not uh, this it's is a not safe different space, here. Everybody, <laughs> it's not it's different safe. here. Um, <laughs> Um, maybe not the best practice, but it is certainly, um, uh, you know, it's certainly motivated by us wanting to build things that work um, and to get them in front of users really quickly. Uh, in our case, um, I, and I'm sure that's true for everybody else too. Um, but uh, but but we do promise that at the end of this, there will be good documentation, and the tools will be will be useful um, to non-experts who can pick them up and, and make them work. Um, in addition to that, um, we also maintain a GitHub uh, index of all of these tools. So if you actually search for Memex on GitHub, you'll actually find uh, the program index, which has a list of the projects and a pointer to uh, many of them so that you can go off and uh, and pull them down uh, in addition to the open catalog page. Okay, awesome. And then um, you had mentioned that if a law enforcement um, agency has the technical expertise that, you know, they should be able to use them. So I'm curious about, you know, what level of law enforcement, you know, am I looking at you know, running off to my local law enforcement and <laughs> telling them about this? And then, you know, what would be the yeah. kind of the skills that they would need to have in-house or so, get? You know? Right, exactly. Um, so in the short term, uh, between now and the end of the program, i.e. the next six months, uh, the good news is that um, we host these programs in live running form, uh, and we host them in a form that they're all together. Uh, and we make them freely available to law enforcement under the proviso that these this is all sort of beta-ish software. It's being tested all the time. Uh, and if users, law enforcement users, want to make use of these tools knowing that, they're, that they could be buggy, 
and provide us feedback. Uh, you know, it's a it's a good opportunity for us to essentially get your feedback and then make our tools better. Uh, and it's also potentially a useful thing for you as a law enforcement agency to be able to test out the tools and decide whether or not they they serve your needs. Um, so so that's sort of the piloting process that we've been going through since basically the beginning of the program, or at least in, since we've we've had some useful tools. Um, so uh, so in the short term, uh, that's that's how we're we're planning to. Uh, that's how we engage with people who want to make use of the tools. Um, in the longer term, it, as uh, our program goes away, um, we are working to, uh, to make the, the existing service that we have up and running uh, available to all law enforcement through uh, one, of the, one of the state and local agencies that we've been partnering with since the beginning. Um, uh, and until there's an agreement, I, I don't think I probably can name them yet. But, um, but the, the, I think most of... Um, I think our users should rest assured that the systems will stay running uh, for the longer term. Uh, and there are instances where some state and local agencies will, will need to or want to run their own system. Uh, and, uh, and there will be a facility for doing that too. Um, so that will involve essentially setting up the tools and running those tools uh, as we do currently on our own system. Uh, in your own environment, and that requires a system administrator and uh, a, a capable system administrator who can stand up tools that run on a relatively small cluster of machines or on Amazon or some kind of uh, uh, um, cloud service like that. Um, typically, the kind of person that you want for this is somebody like a DevOps person um, or uh, a really skilled system administrator. But assuming that you have access to somebody like that, it's pretty easy to get these tools up and running. Okay, cool. Um, and then, you know, before I let you go, I definitely wanted to um, ask you if you're able to share, you know, well, actually, there's two things. I want to just clarify um, for people, you know, the difference between what um, these tools do in terms of gathering the data on the web um, and what they're, the tools are able to, to get versus my Google search query where I can find um, some of this awful right. content, but it's nowhere near what your crawlers are getting. And so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. That's a good point. So um, our crawlers get quite a bit more of this data. Um, we estimate uh, any time, anywhere between 10 and 20x more of this data. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, just because of the the evasion tactics that I talked about earlier, um, and and the fact that we keep a, a full index of this kind of content. Uh, so when we compare what we crawl to either the common crawl, which is sort of a, a, one of the one of the standard indexes that people create, or to you know uh, to the Internet Archive or to Google or to Bing, right? Um, w there's a lot of data missing in those sites. But the most important part isn't the fact that the data is missing. That is certainly true. The other part is that uh, if you do these searches through Google, what you'll end up with is 210,000 results divide by 10. It's still 21,000 results. Mm -hmm. That's way more than you could possibly deal with. And so at the end of the day, you need something that's reading through this content automatically and organizing it for you. 
right. you know, the, the, the program itself is named after this, um, this, this wonderful paper that was written by Vannevar Bush in the, in the 50s. And, uh, you know, he was a forward-thinking guy. He had the notion that in the 50s that you, you would have this, this desk um, called the Memex, which was essentially the world's library that would bring information to you as you needed it. Um, and that's sort of the notion behind what we're trying to do with Memex, but for a very specific kind of investigative application. And so, um, you know, it's true that you could read through 21,000 ads associated with one bad dude uh, to figure out that he's a bad dude. But it's at the end of the day, not really going to be practical. And you're certainly not going to close many cases that way. Right. Um, so what we feel like we needed to do was to help you through automation. Okay. And, um, okay. So then my other question for you was just, if you could share, um, you know, any success stories, uh, you know, where you know that this technology has led to, you know, uh, the conviction of traf traffickers. Um, yeah. So, um, there have been multiple cases of, there have been multiple convictions, uh, since, uh, since the, be the beginning of the program. Um, one of the more recent ones was, um, was truly grisly. It was in San Francisco. Uh, so the San Francisco district attorney was one of our, um, has been one of our early, uh, users. And, uh, he closed a case, uh, recently that involved, um, uh, it involved a, a, a child rape and, uh, and, um, and prostitution ring. Uh, and it was a truly horrible case. There's actually, uh, a press release they put out about it, um, and that was ultimately using our tools to help and uh, to investigate a lead that they found on their own. Um, there have been hundreds of arrests, literally across multiple jurisdictions outside the U.S. and inside the U.S. associated with this tool. Many of them haven't gotten to uh, haven't gotten to trial yet. Uh, you know, over the course of three years. You know, we've been developing the technology. The legal process actually takes a long, you know, longer than that often, and so not all of them have gotten to trial yet. But um, there have been uh, multiple indictments. I think on the order of fifty or sixty indictments at this point. Uh, hundreds of, of arrests of traffickers. Uh, I know that people like to have clarification between, you know, if the person being trafficked is in the arrest count or, you know, the traffickers. So uh, the, the traffickers and, and the yeah. jurisdictions we tend to work with, um, you know, they don't tend to go after the, uh, the victim uh, or the prostitute in often in those cases, um, because uh, as you know, it's, it, there are sort of multiple problems here, right? Some jurisdictions actually do do that. Uh, that's, that's a problem uh, that society faces in general as to, you know, what is the right strategy for tackling this problem? Uh, and there's sort of, there really are legitimate differences in terms of how people try to do that. Um, and jurisdictions differ in terms of their approach. Um, uh, there have been cases recently where uh, um, people have been working on going after the trafficker or going after the John. Uh, that's actually another scenario that, um, that, uh, that uh, helps to disincentivize the trafficking uh, supply. Um, but in either case, at the end of the day, um, our tools are really designed to go after the trafficker. Uh, if you want to go after a single prostitute, that you really could just, just use Google for, right? Because mm -hmm. there's plenty of instances of individual prostitutes showing up in ads on Google. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, thank you so much um, for this information. Sure. Um, and, you know, the for the program, you know, if people 
want to get involved, you know, like I said, um, it's on GitHub and law enforcement, <laughs> um, I guess, would need to contact DARPA directly if they wanted to get in on the last little bit of the pilot, or is that? Uh, that's right. They can contact me, uh, and I'm pretty easy to find online. Uh, I'm just wade.chen at darpa.mil, and uh, if you want to help or if you want to use these tools, just let us know, and we were happy to work with you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again, and um, thank you, everybody, for listening and watching, and we'll see you in the next session. Hey there, listener. Are you ready to make an impact in your community? Wherever you are on your civic hacker journey, you'll want to get your free access to a special video collection we put together that's themed around the concept of building a civic hacking community. Just go to civic-hackers.org slash free videos all run together to enter your email address and get that exclusive link. Once again, that's civic-hackers.org slash free videos, F-R-E-E-V-I-D-E-O-S to get your access. And before we get back into our regularly scheduled programming for this podcast episode, I have a special donation solicitation for you. The Civic Hacker Network is a nonprofit that's fiscally hosted by the Open Collective Foundation. And what that means is that you can support this podcast and our work by giving a donation of any amount. The link to donate will be in our show notes, but why wait? Go to civichackers.org slash nonprofit to donate today. That's civic with a hyphen hackers.org slash nonprofit to donate and we thank you and appreciate your support. The phrase thank you seems to fall short always um, for every speaker that we have that comes and shares their expertise and experience and Wade Chen is no exception. I very much appreciate him uh, for contributing to the Civic Hacker Summit and enriching our community with the sharing of his knowledge, his work towards creating technology um, that goes above and beyond existing methods of data collection has and has enabled law enforcement and investigators to find and convict more human traffickers than ever before is tremendous. Uh, even if you're not an expert, but you're interested and inspired by this work, which I don't see how you couldn't be, you can find all of the tools that uh, we discussed here and more on GitHub. Um, they are, like we talked about, they prioritize open sourcing it. So everything's on GitHub and you will find the link to that in our show notes. At the time of the interview, Wade was with DARPA, but nowadays he is co-founder and chief program officer at a company called Actuate. 
It's a nonprofit organization formed to contribute a fresh approach to society's critical challenges. Feel free to drop me a line via email at lower, oh, excuse me, at lori at civic-hackers.org or leave a voice message by heading to civic-hackers.org slash pod to share how you're engaging with these topics um, of data-driven technology to combat human trafficking or how you're creating social impact within your community. We love hearing from you. I want to know the work that you're doing or that you're engaged with and uh, spread those ideas and that good news. As always, we wrap up our episodes with gratitude and this is a tough one. Um, the stories and circumstances you learn about when you get into concrete examples of the tragedy of you know human trafficking, they can be so horrific and overwhelming. And looking away or closing your eyes, I think is a pretty natural uh, defense. However, there are so many people who don't look away they engage and there's also so many people whose lived experience doesn't allow for an easy escape and so I'm sending out gratitude to everyone on the front lines of this issue especially survivor leaders who give of themselves to make sure that the folks who are involved in addressing this issue have access to the voice and perspective of someone who has actually been exploited. And so thank you to those survivor leaders and thank you to the groups creating investigatory tools for data collection and helping to incorporate these tools into law enforcement agencies. And also to those who are just working to become more educated on the topic of human trafficking and spreading awareness. I am always and forever grateful for you, dear listener. I'm open to your feedback because it helps me improve this podcast and better serve the Civic Hacker Network. So make sure you subscribe. And if you haven't already, please do me a favor and rate and review the show to help other people discover this podcast. Don't forget to follow the Civic Hacker Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. And claim your free membership. That will get you an invitation to join us on Slack. And you can find all of the links on our website, Civic dash hackers.org. I'm Lori McNeil, wishing you all the good things between now and your next listen to the Civic Hacker podcast. Problems have solutions. Let's get to work. The Civic Hacker Podcast is a production of the Civic Hacker Network. The Civic Hacker Network is a networking and support hub for people using data and technology to create positive change in their communities. Join the network for free at civic-hackers.org.